Hello Future Tribe, welcome to another episode of the podcast. On this week's episode, we're actually doing something a little bit different. So we're up to episode 49 with episode 50 or the big half century if you're into cricket uh, around the corner. We thought it would be really nice to have a conversation, Hayden, the podcast producer, and I, and to change things up a little bit. So Hayden's actually questioning me on this episode of the podcast. We made a video of this whole conversation. It was about an hour and a half from memory, and you can check it out in the link in the description. The audio for this episode is from that video so things may sound a little bit different um, on this episode and the next as we used an overhead microphone and had to deal with a few things like noise in the surrounds because we couldn't use the studio for this recording but i hope you enjoy we both had a lot of fun doing this and once again a little reminder you might need to excuse the audio just a little bit Welcome to the Future Tribe podcast, where we're all about taking your future to the next level. Whether it is interviewing guests or unpacking strategies, you know we will be talking about getting things done and backing you, a fellow optimistic go-getter. And now, as always, here is your host, the formidable, fortunate and highly favoured, Jermaine Muller. Hello, Future Tribe. Welcome to another episode of the Future Tribe podcast. As you can probably tell from the video, if you're watching, I'm not Jermaine Muller. I'm Hayden Fitzgerald, the producer of the Future Tribe podcast. And um, this week, in commemoration of our 50th episode, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. This week, I'm going to be interviewing the founder and CEO of Future Theory, Jermaine Muller. Hey, and the host of the Future Tribe and podcast. And the host of the Future Tribe. How could I get that? How could I forget? <laughs> Okay, how are you doing today, Jermaine? Good. I'm a bit anxious because I haven't really looked at the questions. Um, so I guess I'm just going to feel what every guest feels when I uh, hop on a call with them. Yeah, and you're in the hot of, seat now. You, oh, you just don't get find the questions. Yeah, let's go. I'm, I'm excited though. I think it right. should be good. All right. So to start off with, I think, you know, people have been listening to your voice for about 50 episodes now, but I don't feel like a lot of them really know you as a person yet, you know, mm-hmm. you're letting the other person do the talking. So tell me a bit about yourself outside of, you know, Future Theory and the podcast. What do you do in your spare time? What do you like to do outside of work? Yeah. So um, outside of work, I don't have a huge life, I guess you could say. <laughs> it, I just love uh, what we do at Future Theory, which yep. is, you know, build websites, um, help small businesses, work on marketing, um do branding, things like that. So my sort of out of work life tends to revolve around that a fair bit still. Um, you know, either it's playing around with concepts for, uh, you know, not client projects or not, not sort of work projects, but personal projects. Um, I, I've got into mountain biking recently. I like to go for drives. Um, I hang out with my partner and my dog. Um, that's sort of yeah what takes up a lot of a lot of my spare time. Nice, um, nice. Yeah. So let's get down to it. How long have you been working working in the marketing field? Because I know the answer to this question, but when you told me, I was a bit shocked about how early you actually got into the marketing game. Yeah. So I really started exploring it back in two thousand eight. Um, I was pretty young. Uh, I was still a teenager then, um, but. Got into it uh, first, actually playing around with HTML and CSS. So nowadays we build a lot of websites using WordPress. WordPress 
back then was still sort of um, quite young, you could say, or mm-hmm. quite new. Um, so yeah, just sort of started playing around back in 2008, and um, I guess we're now 12 years down the down the line, and um, I'm really, uh, I guess, getting into the swing of things, and um, you know, I feel like I'm still learning almost every day. Yeah. Um, but now I feel like there's there's a lot that I've also learned and a lot that I know versus um, back back then just just everything was new and exciting and yep. different. Awesome. Well, that sort of transitions well into when you started Future Theory proper mm-hmm. because you are a very young person, um, a very young business owner, I would say. Um, everyone who I know who has met you has always commented on that. So when did you start Future Theory as we know it now? Um, it really, like I look at like Future Theory proper, so to speak, starting, you know, about two years ago, Mm -hmm. but I registered the business in 2013, um, sort of coming out of school, getting into uni, um, or looking at university as an option. Um, that's, that's when I really sort of registered the business. Um, and yeah, I think, um, like got it, got an ABN and and all that. Um, but yeah, I I feel like it's in the last few years that we've really sort of hit our stride. Um, you know, I, I liked, I got a lot of experience sort of working with, uh, working for other people, working with other people yeah. before I decided to take the leap full time into Future Theory. Yeah. Um, and I think that was important because it gave me an idea of what not just clients wanted, but how people um, liked to be talked to and liked to handle um, things like websites and branding and marketing because it's actually... I find that those projects are quite unique. Like people don't, I mean, when was the last time you heard about someone going through the journey of building a website, like in your personal life? It's not, it's not something you hear, especially if they're working, like you hear about people building websites for school, for uni, for things like that, but they never or very rarely engage like a professional. Yeah. They're not a customer facing business. At the end of the day, that part of the company is usually handled by someone else yeah and so you end up in your lifetime every maybe three to five years if you're a business owner you get a website built and you engage with an external party but um in the in sort of the average person's life they just don't experience that so it was important to me to see almost the other side of it yeah um, and understand the other side of it and also get experience um just look at the different pain points and um the different facets because Especially in like design, there's the, there are the designers and the coders such developers. Yeah. Um, and they they tend to be two different lots of people. Yeah. Um, but um, I wanted to experience both sides just so that I can understand both sides, so that ultimately when I got into business for myself, it was a more rounded sort of solution that we could provide. Yeah, and that sort of transitions into what I want to talk about now. Now, if you don't know Jermaine or what he does here at Future Theory, he's a bit of a Swiss Army knife when it comes to digital marketing. And I say that in the fact that he is a web designer, he is a photographer, he is a graphic designer by trade, um, and he also does a whole other bunch of things. And what I've always respected about that is that you're not very specialized in one thing, but you do a lot of different things at a very high level. But I also want to ask you, as someone who's gone out on themselves fairly young, do you feel pressure to keep honing these skills? Because... You know, many people, as you said, specialize in one aspect of marketing or design or, you know, creativity in general. How do you keep up with everything and is there a pressure? 
Um, yeah, so that's why I said when you asked me, you know, what is my life like out of work? Yeah. I was like, it's not, there's not much, like, I don't think there's a whole lot to it. Like, you know, I'm not spending 20, 30 hours a week on a hobby, per yeah. se. Yeah. Um, but that is because I spend a lot of time, um, you know, to use your term, sort of honing those skills further. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's not, it's not necessarily a pressure, but... I see a lot of people saying, you know, oh, I'm a web developer or I'm a graphic designer or I'm a photographer. And um, those people might not necessarily be at that level where I think they should be charging for their services. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying always, what I try and do is ensure that I'm almost checking myself um, and making sure that, you know, when I say, okay, we can provide graphic design services, that either I can do it at, at a level where we can charge and, you know, be competitive in a, in the market, mm. um, or we have someone um, working for us who can offer that service at a very fair, uh, very chargeable sort of um, a, as a product, as a service, as yeah. a professional service. So, like you mentioned, photography. Um, that's something that I'm still trying to hone certain elements of photography. Um, you know, things like headshots we've provided for a long time and that's fairly simple, but I'm still trying to hone more the creative, the branding side of photography, yeah. you know, like the photos that you see when you visit a website, for example. Yeah. Um, and until I'm comfortable with that, I'm not going to offer it as a service um, or until we hire someone who has that expertise that I look at and go, yeah, you know, you've got what it takes to charge and to be charging fairly and to be doing it as a business and as a professional mm. versus um, just, you know, saying, oh, I know how to put together a website. I'm now a web designer. Yeah. I'm now going to go out there and offer the service. Mm. Um, because at the end of the day, with any of these services, and I think with any business, their goal is to provide value. So as a business, um, you want to make sure that when you charge a dollar figure on the back end, the client receives some sort of value. Like if it's marketing services, you know, they get more recognition. If it's photography services, you represent their brand really well um, in those photos. So it's important that on the back end, as much as I think people sometimes think that business is about making money and charging money mm. um, and end up with, you know, business models that are all about trying to, you know, I've seen people say, oh, I charge at this amount because I want to earn this amount. And, um, uh, that that's all there is you know i worked out that i can do six hours of work a week uh sorry a day and i can work five days a week and i want to earn x amount so i'm going to charge this amount per hour mm. which to me is just the wrong approach to yeah um, it's the other side of the coin really yeah um you need to start at what what value can i provide and then how much can those values be priced at exactly um, yeah. as an exchange yeah. um and do you see a lot of that in the you know in the digital marketing space because from a person who's just getting into it now, um, I definitely see a lot of distrust in consumers, especially when it comes to you know um, taking on marketing services, because there are a lot of snake oil salesmen in the market. Uh, they are overcharging for their work, or you know their work is actually you know all sizzle no steak in the fact that it gets outsourced or it's done. You know they're not actually web designing; they're actually you know just using the simple framework that just allows them to click and drop stuff. Um, is that something that's hard to overcome? Because when you're trying to explain your value to consumers, you know, say like this, say, uh, you know, it costs X amount of dollars to develop a website mm. and someone goes, well, I can make a WordPress website for, you know, $10 a month or whatever. Yes. Or, you know, my 
son goes and you know has a DSLR camera why can't he take photos or you know I can get a, a logo made on a logo generator for ostensibly free yeah, yeah. Um, how do you deal with that and how do you deal with that sort of yeah, well, it comes back to that sort of value and providing value. At the end of the day, um, it's when you, when you, and that's why I said, you know, it's not about money. Like, um, it's funny because those people who talk about like trying to build a system where, you know, they earn enough money that they're happy with it, they um, talk about it saying, you know, I deserve, I deserve to be paid this much mm. um, when I think you need to look at it on the other end and actually um, package your value that you provide yeah. um, and you when you package it correctly there's just no competition right it's it's sort of like when you look at um, and then you know I use this example just because it's it's an exaggerated example um, in that you know you look at Ferrari Bentley um, and then there's you know the next level of Bentley Rolls Royce mm-hmm. um, when you talk about cars now these are very expensive cars now on the on the other end you've got um, Honda and all those sort of um, staple brands sure. that are very affordable economical vehicles um, and there's a reason why Ferrari can charge so much more for a vehicle. Now, it's not just that they go fast, but there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more value that is provided. Yeah. Um, and they package it in such a way that the ideal clientele are looking at it going, yes, that provides... Because you talk to the average person who drives a $30,000, $40,000 car and you tell them that, you know, do you ever hope to own a Ferrari if you had the money? The general response I've heard is, it'll be cool, but... like. It doesn't give me anything. I'd rather put that into a house. Yeah. And it's all about value. So that's how I see, um, well, that's how I've been able to overcome that. You know, the, and there have been meetings. Um, I mean, the last one, thankfully, was a few years ago now where I drove for about 40 minutes, which is a while when you live in Canberra. Yeah, um, of course. Because 40 minutes is You can get to one side of the to, city to the exactly, other. Yeah, yeah. Like you can cover the, cover the full sort of... Um, uh, Canberra sort of boundary um, in 40 minutes and um, I got there to have a conversation with a guy who um, basically wanted to uh, his budget was I think $120 for a a full website marketing assistance social media the the works Um, and he'd he'd come to that sort of budget by looking online realizing that you know he can get that online um, but then I made it clear to him that the value that I provide and now we provide is on a is just on a different level. You're mm. not just talking to some faceless, you know, person, um, which more often than not it just is just one spokesperson and behind it I've got a bunch of um, people who just you know, just just put out websites. Um, what what you get is a much more involved and much more value based service. Yeah, and it's a holistic approach. Again, you don't I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing marketing internally, but if all your marketing is not aimed at one, you know, strategic goal and, you know, it's taking away from the core business, like you working on the business itself, working on the actual product or service that you're providing the customer, it's ultimately going to, you know, hurt your business in the long run, not outsourcing it. And I think like that's, even as a person who doesn't own a business, I can obviously see that that's a problem where... You know, people, marketing is sort of a dirty word in the fact that people sort of see it as a way to spend money, but it's hard to quantify a return on investment. You know, Mm. it's not like, 
it's not like a typical investment where you can see, you know, cash flow coming in that was specifically generated by this function. Whereas it's hard not, to attribute yeah. like an activity to a dollar's sort of return. Yeah. yeah, and I think for that reason, people think that marketing is a money sink, but, which is obviously not true. But I think that's unfortunately the opinion a lot of people have. And I know for a fact that you've dealt with that as well. Oh, yeah. Well, all, all the time, I think um, people don't necessarily see the value in it because, I mean, it goes back to this thing about there are a lot of people who are talking about Honda and Ferrari. There are a lot of people who look at cars as cars and they're just all cars, mm. you know. And when you look at it at that simplistic level, you're forgetting, you know, even simple things like one has leather seats and one has fabric, fabric yeah. seats. And yeah. There's a different cost to each thing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people do tend to sort of look at websites as a website's a website's a website. Yeah. Um, but Which know, is crazy because like... Well, the, every I mean, day you, you experience d- different websites where people don't think about it that way. But, because, that's like, but that's like the, you know, the front facing, you know, it's the modern day storefront of your business. I mean, like you would never walk into a business that has, you know, a rundown, you know, front entrance that has like a window broken that has like a door that's coming off the hinges so why would i stay at a website that's like obviously done in two seconds on uh, squarespace or wordpress or something or weeks and i'm like um am i going to give you and your drop shipping company my money exactly exactly i mean it becomes even worse when you're talking about um professions like accountants and lawyers i've seen um smaller businesses when they're starting off um i've seen them build like Wix websites or a Squarespace website. Um, and um, the, the thing there to me is that you're asking them for a lot of trust and a lot of value mm-hmm. um, and a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and like you said, you know, drop shipping at least you get a product and it's very easy to say whether it was worth it or oh, not. With, yeah, with services, but it would be even harder. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it, you know, how much does an accountant cost or a lawyer cost? You know, it's hundreds, if not thousands, like over a lifetime. Oh, yeah. They'd be earning thousands of dollars per customer. Yeah. Yet, you know, in some instances, they have poorly constructed web presence. Yeah. Um, now, what I find is that a lot of them, um, when they're starting off or when when a business is starting off, it's just all word of mouth anyway. Yeah. So they use that as a way to generate that lead and then they really convince you that they know what they're talking about and what they're doing when you uh, reach out to them and have a meeting with them mm-hmm. and that's where you sort of get, not, not sold in a bad way, but... But that makes sense because, again, when you're spending thousands of dollars, like, you need someone to sit down with you and explain, you know you know, go through those cognitive steps of like, this is where your money is going. This is what we've done. And that sort of stuff that you can't really, um, you know, boil down in simple marketing material. And I get that, but it, it totally just discounts the, the awareness part of, you know, the consumer journey where, yeah, it's fine. You know, like, oh, if I, if I needed a law firm, I'm sure that I would do my research and stuff like that. But you know where I'd start? I'd start at like Malaganas, Edwards Johnson. And that's because, you know, they've spent so much money smartly on creating such a distinct, you know, marketing. Brand campaign. and brand awareness. Yeah. I mean, same with Bloomers, I would say. It, exactly. Um, it's just, you know, Bloomers, personal injury lawyers. Like it's just something that just comes to you. Yeah. Um, and again, I think, yeah, people, people sort of forget that side of things. Yeah. And I think that's where um, a more expensive website or a more expensive service generally tends to differentiate itself is that we can a well thought out website can do a lot of the convincing yeah um and therefore generate a generate a higher conversion rate or generate more people coming in 
turning into customers yeah. than a you know not as well thought out website. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that yeah. thinking takes time, and yeah. therefore there's a cost associated with it. Um, and you know you can build something more robust. You can build something less reliant on other services, like things like Wix and um, Squarespace. A big issue with those um, organizations or, or services, sorry, is that if their service was to go down tomorrow, you don't really have any recourse. You can't just take that website and put it on a different server, server and just go from there. Yeah, it's why we choose to use WordPress. Yeah. You know? It's something that I talk to clients about even when it comes to social media. Putting all your eggs in, in, in sort of one social media basket, mm. I personally think is getting increasingly dangerous because they are using artificial intelligence, often with no people involved, to shut down uh, pages yeah. based off sometimes arbitrary things. I just saw someone um, put up a put up a meme and got blocked from Facebook for 24 hours yeah. just because their content moderation... AI decided you're not allowed to post on Facebook now for 24 hours. Yes, yeah, yeah. And there's no recourse. Um, and if you're a business that you build, you know, you've built out your whole marketing channel on, say, Facebook, yeah. gets shut down tomorrow, that could put you in a really tight spot. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, th- and that's not an uncommon thing. Maybe it is in terms of um, typical businesses, but if you have, you know, a graphic design company that uses Instagram to, you know, generate clients or even if you're a YouTube channel mm. that generates some revenue off that and you you know you stream on other platforms like if YouTube decides to demonetize your content or you know blacklist you mm-hmm. like you have just lost all of your revenue and you have no as we said no recourse because these big conglomerates don't have the resources to you know well and they don't they don't have they don't need to right yeah, like yeah. I mean they're just we're, like you mentioned we're just small fish for yeah. them we're small fry they're sort of look at it going we can invest into getting you know a lot of staff in place to make sure that every small page you know gets their questions answered yeah or we can send that same staff member to work with a big organization say like a big media outlet to talk to that media outlet and make sure that they're happy because they're spending millions of dollars a year on advertising dollars and things like that Mm. um it just it just is almost this um I don't know, there's this almost um, counterintuitiveness to it. Yeah. Um, and it's something that we need to be aware of as small businesses or even as a large business. Yeah, of course. I mean, risk management is important no matter the size of the company. Um, I think this sort of leads into another good question because you've already sort of touched on it. When you meet with clients, what are typically the biggest mistakes that they are making in terms of their marketing strategy, their content strategy? And you've sort of mentioned that you know, relying on one platform too much or, you know, not really investing enough into their online presence. Is there anything else that you would say is a... Well, funny enough, one is that um, they're t- focusing on one platform too much. Yeah. The other is that they're spread out too thin. Yeah. Um, that happens all the time. I mean, recently we had a client who, let's just say that their business deals with numbers and they wanted to start a... Um, an Instagram account. Mm. And my first response was, Instagram's a visual platform. How are you going to build? I mean, there are ways to do it through quotes and things like, you know, just putting up quotes around, I don't know, um, accounting and finance and yeah. things like that. Yeah. But you've got to be careful not to spread it so thin that if someone comes onto your Instagram page, there's nothing on there and mm. people sort of just um, 
Well, it hurts you almost. Yeah, because it, it indicates to the consumer without you explicitly saying anything that, wow, their social media pages aren't very well managed, they're not upkept, so is this a legit operation? Because that's like the first thing I would, you know, yeah. look at. Yeah. yeah. I saw, you know, an accountancy firm that, you know, that bothered to make a Facebook page or bothered to make an Instagram page and there's two posts from two years ago. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like... What's going on here? Like, like did they stop... Did they cease to exist as a business for yeah. a little while? Did they go quiet? Um, and and especially when I've, I see clients continue to use, say, a Facebook page that they haven't posted on mm. in a long time to try and reach people. Yeah. Um, and that's even worse. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think, to an extent, I mean, I'm a huge fan of creating, like, placeholder accounts. Yeah. Um, we've basically done that on most platforms. And... The reason for that is that we can sort of reserve that username for yeah. ourselves. Sure. Um, but then we don't, I wouldn't say, you know, suggest that you create, say, a placeholder account, put up two posts, and then start trying to get people and clients through that mm. because they're going to land on that page that you don't want them to see. Mm. Um, where if you narrow it down, one, you have more time to invest into a smaller sort of pool of uh, mediums, yeah. um, which means that you should just give it more attention. Um, and two, you can control the whole narrative a bit better. Yeah. And generally speaking as well, you really want your website to be the single source that people sort of funnel down to. And why is that? Because if you set it up correctly, you have the most control when it comes for, comes to a point of, you know, um, marketing and presence out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. If you build a website on an open source platform like WordPress.org and just host it with any company, you have much more control over that because WordPress.org, your website becomes just like an object that um, can be sort of, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of an analogy. Uh, it's it's sort of like buying a baby seat um, for your baby um, or like a booster seat mm. um, that... You can move that from car to car yeah. versus buying a seat that is designed for a baby. Not a booster seat, but a whole seat that is designed for a baby that is customized for the car, car yeah. that you're in right now. Yeah. Um, and the risk there is that you end up with something that has a much more finite lifetime yeah. um, than that opportunity to then you know pick it up, move it on to something else, or move it into a different car, um, and so on and so forth, and modify it. And you know you can pick it up and give it to someone to say repair it, mm. um, and that's that's what you want. Um, and you want the website like at the end of the day, in terms of the internet, out of you know out of everything that you can do on the internet as a as a marketing or as as a brand and as a company. Um, the, the website just presents you with the most freedom, yeah. uh, presents you with the most opportunity to control all that. Um, and that's just what is important nowadays. Mm. Um, and, and tell me if I'm wrong in this, but I feel like the companies that have the most robust websites are also more flexible to deal with changes in the external environment. And with this coronavirus stuff that you know has happened and it's slowly getting better now, I found the companies that have a great digital content strategy, and I want to shout out Akiba for this, mm. were able to actually increase their profits when everyone else was struggling because as soon as it happened, they built a pretty good online ordering system, um, proprietary to, you know, oh, not proprietary, but it was specially made for their website. And 
worked perfectly, was able to cut out, you know, Uber Eats and stuff like that and end up making more money. And it was all because, you know, they've made investments in. And, and, yeah. and yeah, exactly. They've invested into uh, sources and channels yep. um, in in advance. It, it's Marketing's a similar thing. Like a lot of, especially when I was starting off, a lot of businesses came to us when they were about to go like bust next month. Yeah. And the problem with that is that you need... You late. need budget, yeah, right? yeah. And and when you're not bringing in money, how can you spend money? Mm. Um, where like, I mean, this is an age age old thing. You spend money when when you can afford to. Yeah, that means when money's coming in. Yeah, and you save you you reap the benefits by saving money later on. Um, when you you maybe not not can't afford to. Yeah. But you've put in the work before, putting putting the legwork, build out the audience, and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, and then by controlling it, I mean you talked about Akiba building uh, a custom solution for themselves. Yeah. They because they had they had the lead generation down down packed in control. Yeah. Whether it's through Facebook or Instagram, social media, or just marketing, because they had that controlled. They can then customize that end solution that they funnel people to. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what I was sort of getting to. It's like it's not the fact that they built an online ordering system because anyone can do that. Future mm-hmm. theory, did yeah, that we for did that a, for a few clients. for a bunch of our, um, our clients. But what I think those guys do so well is they understand that you know they need to because you're exactly right. They have such a big social media following, like a lot of venues do, because they put so much effort into. Hey, you know, you're in the venue. We'll take photos of you. Mm-hmm. We'll post it online. We'll tag we, you in it. We'll tag you. All yeah. of our menus and stuff are done expertly by graphic designers. Like even the service scape, you know, it's done intentionally mm-hmm. to be so cool, to be so inviting mm-hmm. that you buy into the Akiba and by extension the Kokomo's brand. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great idea because, you know, you could, Akiba would have done well, you know, no matter what. They do good food yeah. and stuff like that. And not to make this an Akiba podcast, <laughs> but I think you're exactly right where it's so funny that. Because I think we're told the different when it comes to personal finance. When you're making money, it's good to save it. It's good yes. to, you know, put it in low-risk low, low risk investments and, you know, stockpile it. Whereas a business, you sort of find out it's almost flipped on its head where... Well, funny enough, I mean, you use the word investments, right? So you talked about low-risk investments. Yeah. That, that's effectively what a business is doing. Yeah. Um, well, effectively in that they're... they're Businesses should be told to invest as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yet it's not something that people that that they do. Um, sorry to cut you off, but you know, you just you you the terms you used exactly could be sort of. It's just almost the opposite, yeah. but it's the same. In yeah, that you're told to save, but a business is told to spend. But the outcome and the end goal is still the same thing. Yeah, and that is to multiply the value of whatever it is that you're yeah. investing, whether it is um, money, whether it is time, whether it is effort. Yeah. Um, but, there are plenty, but, the but there are plenty of people like that. I feel like scalability is almost, again, become a dirty word in terms of startups because when you say scalability, you instantly think of tech startups. You think of people like Uber who have this you know, giant client base but haven't really been able to monetize it to a level where they're actually profitable. So... I'll, I'll change it to a bit more general questions about digital marketing. Um, with coronavirus in sort of mind and just the trajectory of the industry as itself, what do you think of the emerging lines of service, like the stuff that is going to become more important and the stuff that's going to become less important? Yeah, so I think um, 
given how easy it is to do things like build websites and things like that, I think better websites and more well-thought-out sort of avenues are going to become more important. Yeah. Um, not that they weren't before, but, you know, a few years ago, um, it was very easy to just absolutely get a whole bunch of likes on Instagram, for example. Yeah. Um, I remember, you know, um, reaching, like, the... I forget what they call the the feed where basically, you know, you get pushed to when you're like the most popular yep. within a certain time frame. Yeah. That was very easy to do a few years ago. Yeah. Um, but it's becoming harder now. And what's what's happening is that just the top of the top really just make it to make it to those um sort of feeds and pages and, and things like that. Yeah. Um and I think moving forward that's one thing that's gonna really be important. Mm. Um the whole whole customer experience as well. Yeah. Um, for a, I think for a long time you could you could afford to just sort of be lackluster in a few areas. Yeah. But nowadays social media makes it too easy to get punished for that sort of thing. Yeah. And that's only increasing as well. Um, personally, I think investing into um, a lot of one-on-one mm. is is gonna again be very important. Um, I mean, drop shipping when it was starting off was really popular, and it had its time where everyone was saying just you know, drop shit, drop shit, drop shit. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, we even looking at our clients, there are a lot of clients who did really well through this, um, who focused on personalized service. And that can be online. That can yeah. be through Messenger or through a chat service. Absolutely, absolutely. But it needs to be personalized, yeah. right? And, yeah. it needs, and you need to be knowledgeable because people, again, there's so much knowledge at your fingertips nowadays that you really, again, need to rise above that. Yeah to be different yeah. otherwise you just get the same advice that they can just get for free from somewhere else yeah um and that just means that uh, you're competing with everyone which is scary and dangerous and you know all those not so good things mm. and with coronavirus not to you know harp on about it but have you what do you think that's going to change about the marketing industry because i feel like unfortunately it's going to you know cut marketing budgets um pretty drastically so how do you think that's going to affect not only you guys, but like bigger agencies and internal marketing teams? And Yeah, for a long time, I've felt like, um, so we really try and hit a nice balance of um, affordability and, um, you know, as, as good a service as, as sort of leading a service as we can provide. Um, and I've just seen that, Bigger companies just there's just naturally more fat, yeah. Know, so yeah. so to speak, um, and there's more expenses, mm. um, and there's just more frivolous sort of spending. Mm. Um, there's this. Uh, I, I, sometimes I just look at companies' budgets and how much they spend on campaigns, yeah. And just set just it's unbelievable the the statistics, um, in terms of you know how much it costs them to get a new client, yeah, and so on and so forth. Um, and it was fine when things were good. Mm. Because there was no need to, you know, count your pennies. Yeah. Um, but coronavirus, I think, it, it's been almost a bit of a resetter. Yeah. Um, and it's been, I think, this time where the the real sort of business owners, you know, entrepreneurial people who um, who love looking for um, ways to survive and ways to thrive and ways to innovate and differentiate. Yeah they'll come through and pull through this. Yes, they won't be as well off as they may have otherwise been, yeah. but they can just pull through. Yeah. Um, so it'll, it'll almost just like, I don't know. I think, I think almost the, the weak ones will be 
picked off. Yeah. Um, or at least people who are not saying not doing their job properly, but I find a lot of people, a common complaint online and when I talk to people like yourself, uh, they often will start campaigns or know people who start marketing campaigns or projects. And when they're asked, how are you going to measure this? How are you going to measure the success of this? They sort of scratch their head and they go, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know how I would, you know, uh, assign a KPI to a, mm. a branding strategy, which I think is like now not something that can just be accepted. I feel like every dollar that is being spent, it needs to be tracked and it's, um, you know, it needs to be stretched as far as it can, which means... That- and, and the return on investment sort of accounted for as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. Like, that's something that, again, I talk to clients because, um, funny enough, there's mechanisms in place in Facebook ads and Google ads and yeah. basically any ad platform where you can track your return on investment. Yeah. But that's... that. Uh, I think a lot of places just go, okay, that's it. That's that's all we needed. Yeah. Um. But what we try and do is actually talk to the client as well and yeah. say, you know, these are the statistics. How was it on your end? Yeah, um, because I feel like a lot of those are misleading. And what you sort of forget is half of these channels that you use aren't digital uh, channels that link into your website or link into your, you know, your Google Analytics and, you know. Yeah, things like word of mouth. You yeah. can't track. Or even like, you know, if you're a restaurant, you know, you're going to use flyers as one of your, mm-hmm. you know, marketing strategies, which is a great thing to do. But if you have no way of counting for how many people were turned on to you because of this, you you can print out a thousand flyers and never know how much good it's doing you. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or if it's doing you any good at all. Yeah. Or, you know, what what can you attribute, you know, do you attribute um, a... Uh, uptake in, um, say, deliveries to Facebook ads or to flyers. Um, So, I mean, I don't think there's an excuse nowadays for for companies and individuals to not track this stuff. Um, I think um, it's very easy to track it nowadays and and you should be tracking it. Um, So, yeah, I think it'll, it'll, like you said, it'll just sort of, um, I guess, make it more obvious um, the people who are phoning it in or just not doing as much as they should be or could be doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I want to shift now to sort of you as a business owner mm-hmm. and an entrepreneur. Um, so you, <laughs> Entrepreneur. I don't know how much I like that term. Nah, but <laughs> a, bit, uh, <laughs> I get what a, a self-starter, I should <laughs> say. Um, so one of the things that astonishes me about you and about starting a business in general is that there's so much stuff behind the scenes that you wouldn't even think would be a problem that is, you know, like, paying people, creating invoices, um, you know, creating, obviously the branding would be a bit easier considering, yeah. you know, you're a marketer that's and stuff like that. Yeah, but, but that's a problem for someone who doesn't yeah. do it as a service. So yeah. what are some of like the hardest parts of being a business owner that you never saw coming that, you know, when you started Future Theory in 2013, you know, bright eyed and bushy tail that you were like, you didn't even know this was going to be a problem. Funny enough, I think marketing was the big one. Yeah. Um, and understanding, you need to really understand um, where your next clients are going to come from. Yeah. Um, that's one element of it that, that was really challenging. Um, the other element is keep making sure that your clients are in the loop and in the know. Of, yeah. It's something that I hear about even now, a lot of saying, 
we talked to any web developer in the past and we start a website and, you know, we don't hear from them for three weeks and then they come back saying, oh, here it is. Here's your first concept. What's your feedback? And then, you know, we get, we converse for another week or two and then they vanish again and there's no sort of touching base and yeah, yeah. talking about it. Yeah. Um, that's a big part of it that we're, we're still trying to become better at in yeah. terms of, um, it was it was easy when it was just a matter of emailing client checking in. Yeah. But when we have multiple now multiple multiple projects on the go, yeah. We need a way where they can just check in at their leisure. Mm. So you know, integrating that sort of um, project management system, um, and the big one I think, and again, we're still trying to get it right, is just getting the systems and procedures right. Yeah. yeah. Um, just. The, the way I like to think about it is I, I love people and I think the people pro- within a business um, are really important. They're, they're just like, they're everything, right? Like you as a staff member is, if you didn't exist, you bring a unique value to, to the business that sure. if we took you out of it, we need to find someone with at least the same energy, yeah. let alone the same expertise and yeah. so on and so forth. Um, but when you come up with this, the operating procedures... I think it's important to remove that person and come up with steps so that you can at the very least make sure that a task is done. Yeah. Now, whether that task is done to the same level of expertise is different. It's, it's hard to control, but sort of op- just operationalizing those because yeah. as we scale up, that's only going to become more of a problem. Well, that seems like that's sort of like the glass ceiling that exists for a lot of businesses and why I think so many of them stay at a position where they either... Uh, you know, have two or three people full time, and then a couple of contractors, and then you know, have like a spouse or something running admin mm-hmm. stuff. Because really, when you extend it beyond that, it becomes a logistical nightmare. Like it, it doubling our stuff now would, I think, increase your workload five times. Yeah, I was gonna say by like three to five hundred percent. Yeah, which which isn't it's like almost like an exponential scaling up. Yeah, um, and. You know, there is like a, a soft sort of number that they say that one person can manage, say, eight people. Yeah. Um, now, whether that one person then gets to do the work that they need to do in their day. Yeah. Because I can imagine if I had to manage eight people, I'd want to, you know, I wouldn't want to check in with them at least for an hour a day. Yeah. But I'd, there'd have to be some level of, you know, being open for them coming and saying, Jermaine, I have this question or that question. Yeah. Um, and if we have more s- sort of steps in place and we we refine that as well, that's the other thing. Like, um, you know, get a bunch of steps, say, Hayden, here, follow these, mm. and then we'll touch base in a week and talk about what worked, what didn't work. Yeah. Refine that and then get that. The idea would be to get that to such a good place that if another Hayden was needed, yeah. they'd be able to come on board and follow uh, and get on board and get up to speed much more seamlessly. So, so how are you figuring this stuff out? Because I know a lot of it is trial and error, obviously, like any business. But when you were first starting out and you were first trying to figure out these systems and all the logistical stuff that you need behind the scenes, were you getting sources online? Were you going to business coaches? Were you, did you have a mentor or yeah, someone so, like that? Um, I've been fortunate to have um, at least two people who I, can, uh, who I would call sort of a mentor. Yeah. Um, you know, never in like an official capacity. Uh, ne- yeah. Been fortunate not to have to sort of pay for that. I know people try and pay, try and look for someone to help them and, and pay for that. Yeah. Uh, sometimes up to, you know, $10,000 a month sort of thing, which is, yeah. which is crazy. Um, but what I, I'm, I'm just, 
I don't know, I, I love just experimenting, trying, working it out, failing, mm. um, trying to fix that issue that, that then appears, yeah. and so on and so forth. Um, so there's a certain level of like resiliency that you need when you're starting a business. Yeah, and it, well, it's, it's, it's resilience as much as just um, getting rid of any ego, sort yeah. of going... Yeah, that that was that was a bad move, you know. Yeah. I, I priced the project way off. Like that was it was wrong to price that project at X amount. Or I mean, that's a mistake that um, I think a lot of businesses and a lot of people getting into it learn is that you know you think okay, like let's let's price it on ten hours and it turns out be to be fifteen. Yeah, example. yeah, um, and that matters so much. Not to cut you off, but it reminds me of a funny story because. My friend obviously runs a gardening business and he helped out another friend of mine who wanted to do something similar. And he goes to his, and he quotes, you know, the friend who's starting out quotes, you know, a, a job of doing a yard and stuff like that. And he gets my other mate to come over and he's like, oh yeah, I said this was that would be done in four hours. And he said, you're going to need the Avengers, mate. Because <laughs> it's going to take 20 <laughs> hours, gonna, mate. Like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's just something that you learn. I think, I think in those sorts of, scenarios and situations you need to just not have any of the ego yeah just go i stuffed up yeah and, and if that means that you only pay yourself two bucks an hour yeah um because you know depending on the situation and the project there might not be capacity to turn around and say hey um i'm sorry i really quoted that really wrong well, it's your mistake at the end of the day i mean like you can't ask the if you went and said here are what my service is going to cost to the consumer and then you backtrack and be like, uh, I made a mistake. You need to pay me more. It's a bit of a hard pill to swallow. Especially four times as much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it is. And it's just a learning learning sort of experience of sort of going um, just trial and error. Yeah. And, and then learn, like making sure that you learn, learn the true, um, true, I guess, points from that mistake. Yeah. I think sometimes you, it's easy to think you're learning from the mistake, but you sort of miss the whole point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or you just look at the ease, the stuff that's e- more palatable. And yeah. You forget the stuff that, you know, um, you, you've almost got to be just a bit harder on yourself. Yeah. And, and that's, I, I think that's okay because um, at the end of the day, you've got to be the hardest on yourself. If you're providing a, a service um, mm. to someone else, mm. you need to make sure that, that service is worth it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's still one of my biggest fears is that we'd provide a service and the client wouldn't feel it's worth it. Thank you for listening to the Future Tribe podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on your podcast app. 